0: Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with D-Crom. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever, or whatever you cats and kittens are. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. Joined, as always, by my right-hand man, Hal Bent, of full press coverage. We hope all of you had a very happy Thanksgiving. And it was very fitting that this Thanksgiving weekend showed why the NFL is something we have to be very thankful for. With two of the three Thanksgiving Day games going down to the wire and some of the most thrilling finishes possible on Sunday, we got a wonderful reminder of why we watch this great, distinctively American game. And there's only more to come as week 13 includes six matchups where both teams have winning records. Bottom line, I've never been more thankful for the NFL. What about you, Hal?
1: David, I could not agree with you more on that. It was a wonderful Thanksgiving of football, weekend of football after that, Uh, some great games here, and like you said, looking forward to some great games this week as well. Uh, Should be a lot of fun again.
0: It should be indeed, Hal. But before we talk about week 13 some more, let's uh, recap week 12 a little bit. What was the biggest lesson you learned from week 12? Well,
1: David, we talk about the NFL, but I mean, football and Turkey, what a combination. The Giants-Cowboys game averaged 42 million viewers throughout that game. The most watched NFL regular season game ever. Ever (laughs) more and more, more for the NFL. Total audience on Thanksgiving 138 million viewers, a Thanksgiving record, and blowing away last year, which was 103 million viewers. So, in comparison, let's just put the NFL up against the rest of the world this Thanksgiving weekend. The exciting World Cup, US versus England highest rated soccer game in u.s history 20 million viewers less than half of the nfl was the greatest and the most watched college football game since 2011 was that great ohio state michigan matchup on saturday 17 million viewers the nfl is king the nfl in turkey is here uh, in such a wonderful tradition and it's The brand just keeps growing stronger and stronger, despite what Daniel Snyder is trying to do to this league. It still grows. So that's our lesson learned here this week.
0: Oh, absolutely. Some of the worst news imaginable for the NFL is dying crowd, dare I say. And the biggest lesson I learned from week 12, we say it all the time on this program. As Herm Edwards once said, you play to win the game. You don't play to just play. You play to win. And Doug Peterson's Jaguars and Brandon Staley's Chargers showed what playing to win means. By foregoing overtime and going for the two-point conversion to win the game in the final seconds, both teams were successful. And Sunday was the first week in NFL history. Multiple teams won on a two-point conversion in the final two minutes of regulation. And the two-point conversion was first introduced to the NFL in 1994. This was the first time it had happened. And I have a feeling we're going to see more such games in the future being decided by last second two-point conversions. Because uh, with uh, analytics uh, now in the NFL uh, and more forward-thinking coaches that prefer to play to win rather than to play not to lose, I think this is the new norm. What about you, Hal?
1: I couldn't agree more. That's a great point, David. Uh, We're seeing that shift in the NFL that uh, younger coaches, knowing that, you know, hey, they may have another shot if things don't work out. Go and get the Ws. It's not enough to make it a close game and lose. Uh, Be entertaining. Make that effort. You're being paid to win. Do everything in your power to get that W. I love it.
0: Oh, I love it as well. Plus, overtime is no sure thing. You're not even guaranteed to touch the ball. Well, at least in the regular season. So uh, there you go there. And what about your go to the week for Thanksgiving weekend in the NFL, Hal?
1: Oh, this was a tough one. I mean, there there were a lot of uh, deserving candidates here. I mean, Josh Jacobs topping 200 yards rushing a walk-off touchdown in overtime. Um, the return of Mike Effing White in New York for the Jets. But, you know, extra credit for primetime. I've got to give it to Justin Jefferson going against one of the best secondaries in the NFL. Uh, nine for 139, a touchdown, even through a pass for a, completed a pass. The guy is just incredible. What a talent. He is, you know, you can argue him with the, there's a couple of guys you might argue, but you know, if you've got a one a and he's a one B, I still put Justin Jefferson as my one. A he is a delight to watch and an amazing player. So he's my go to the week.
0: Yeah. Justin Jefferson neck and neck with Tyree kill for offensive player of the year honors this season. In my opinion, he showed you why on Thanksgiving evening and my go to the week we've, Praise Justin Fields for his uh, growth this season, rightfully so, but his fellow Georgia native and 2021 NFL draft classmate Trevor Lawrence has been making outstanding progress as well these past several weeks. Since week nine, Trevor Lawrence is first in the NFL in completion percentage at 769 Second in the NFL in touchdown to interception ratio, six touchdowns to no interceptions. Second in the NFL in passer rating at 116.1, and seventh in pass yards per game at 271.7. And it all culminated on Sunday with a game winning drive to remember. Oh, my goodness. Talk about third and 21 inside your old Ted. Then you complete a long pass to make it fourth and five. You convert that. You convert another third down. You make some amazing throws with ridiculous ball placement, including a game-winning touchdown pass to Marvin Jones and a game-winning two-point conversion to Zay Jones. Oh, my goodness. Trevor Lawrence, uh, we we all said, oh, has he arrived earlier this year? I think he's arrived with the Vegets. He is well on his way to being a top 10 quarterback in this league. And I think he'll be a top five one very, very soon. What do you think, Cal?
1: I couldn't agree more. We talk about Trevor Lawrence all the time on here. We're both big fans. We see that talent and it's great to see him putting it together on the field. Uh, There was a reason he went number one overall and people talked of him as a generational talent. And we're starting to see that breakout and those results on the field. And it's going to be fun to watch the next decade plus.
0: Oh, absolutely. And uh, that, uh, drive uh, that I just mentioned that was like the quintessential football baptism or bar mitzvah wasn't
1: it? exactly that's you know when you know he's grown up and he's arrived he put his signature drive together and uh yeah all good news hopefully for Jacksonville going forward now
0: definitely and last but not least in our week 12 recap our dunce of the week honors, or since it was on Thanksgiving, our turkey of the week honors. And I don't mean that as a good thing. This is the man and turkey leg award, folks. This goes for bad play or bad decision making, in my case, because my dunce of the week for week 12 war turkey of the week, Indianapolis Colts interim head coach Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday, you just pulled a Nathaniel Hackett. That's all there is to it. Uh, You had all three timeouts left with over a minute to go and a chance to tie or even win the game with a two-point conversion. And Matt Ryan gets sacked on first down. And on second down, with 59 seconds left, Matt Ryan has a brilliant scramble to set up a third and three. And you still don't call a timeout. You just... Immediately run a play with a Jonathan Taylor that went absolutely nowhere. Oh my goodness. I can't count how many seconds bled off the clock without you using a timeout. That's how bad it was. And according to NFL research, the Colts were the only NFL team this season to leave your timeouts unused when driving for a potential tying or winning touchdown in the final 35 seconds inside the opponent's 40 yard line Jeff Saturday easily by dunce or turkey of the week what about you Hal
1: oh it's hard to argue against that and and you know especially Saturday trying to explain it after the game you know (laughs) just just take it and say look at I made a mistake guys you know I feel bad I let my players down and instead he tried to explain it away and it just just made it worse as far as I'm concerned. I don't think I can top that, but just to be different, hey, look, I'm going to look at the the Lions defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, and that Lions defense with 23 seconds to play in the game against the Bills after coming back and tying it up. Uh, Somehow, somehow your cornerback, Will Harris, loses Stefan Diggs in the middle of the field. Kirby Joseph, the safety's a step slow. 36-yard completion, couple of scrambles. Bills win the game. Hey, game on the line, 23 seconds left. Where did you think Josh Allen was going to go with the football? Stephon Diggs, put one, put two, put three on him. It doesn't matter. You had a chance to get this game into overtime and steal a win against one of the best teams in the NFL And you didn't because you didn't play a full 60 minutes. You played 59 minutes and 37 seconds. And that's why the Lions and specifically Aaron Glenn, you're the dunce of the week for me.
0: And now let's talk about an interesting quarterback decision in the city of Chicago, because last week, Justin Fields revealed that his left shoulder injury is a separation with partially torn ligaments so my question is if justin fields who has made remarkable progress this year is unable to get that left shoulder non-throwing shoulder uh, that's very important if he's unable to get it back to 100 percent in these final six weeks should the bears put him on ice for the rest of the season
1: you, you know that is such a Difficult balance here for the bears because you want to build on that growth that you're seeing, uh, you know, fields is going to benefit from these last games of the season. Uh, just having all those live snaps and, and having those reps and that experience, but man, the risk of further aggravating that injury to having it hurt worse, uh, you know, talking about setting up surgery in the postseason. um, Oh, man, you know, that it's such a tough, delicate balance. I know Chicago wants to give him that chance to grow and get those reps, but, but yeah, I mean, if the injury is that bad, if it's that much of a risk, you've got to shut him down because that man is the franchise going forward. And he's shown that, and you have to protect your investment.
0: Plus, he doesn't have any help right now darnell Mooney, his favorite receiver is gone for the season the inconsistent offensive line is still in front of him and you're not going to be able to improve that until the spring so why risk of another injury that could set him back for next season
1: yeah exactly i mean you you, you don't want to set him back on next year you want that going in with the momentum and uh, as much as you know you want to see him you want to see that development I agree. You, you, if it, you know, if the risk is there, you've got to protect that investment.
0: We are definitely in agreement about Justin Fields, Hal, but the bears aren't the only NFC North team with a quarterback dilemma for the remainder of the season as evidenced by Jordan Love's admirable stint last Sunday night in Philadelphia, the Packers may be wise to give him a shot. However, Aaron Rodgers, broke a thumb, sore ribs and all, still plans on playing until green Bay's playoff chances are officially zero. So my question is, should the Packers wait until they're officially eliminated to start Jordan Love, or should they make that move with, say, three weeks left in the season or so?
1: Well, they should see what they've got for a first-round investment there. But the problem is, is they're going – I mean, that front office is – let's face it, walking on eggshells around Aaron Rodgers. Yes, he signed for next season, but they believe that they're a Super Bowl contender uh, going into next season once they're uh, healthy and defense starts playing well and their younger receivers are another year in. So they're going to want Rodgers there next year. But again, you know, you're really you've got to wait for Aaron Rodgers to kind of give you the thumbs up to put love out there because this is still his team and you piss him off. He'll walk away uh, very simply and put them in a difficult position. So should they make that move? Yes. In a perfect environment dealing with a cranky 39 year old future hall of fame quarterback. uh, You know, they should be starting love as, you know, before they're even eliminated, but they're going to have to wait until they get the two thumbs up from Aaron Rodgers because they're not going to upset the apple cart, there is what's really going to happen, I think.
0: Uh, yeah, that's probably the most likely scenario given all the money they just gave uh, Aaron Rodgers this past spring. And now it's time to play our favorite game on the show, Truth or Exaggeration. You know how this game works Sal. I make a statement and you let me know whether you think I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating and why. And we start with the Jets. If the Jets make the playoffs, Mike White is their starting quarterback in 2023 and perhaps beyond. Truth or Exaggeration?
1: I'm going to say it's an exaggeration because as much as I love the Mike White experience here, much like last season as well, I think they're just waiting for him to have a bad game and they can run out and say, ah, yeah, yeah, we tried him. It didn't work. It didn't work. Now Zach Wilson's going to carry us the rest of the way. He's, rehabilitated and his head's in the right space after sitting and watching and straightening himself out mentally, exactly what we went through last year um, that, the, you know, I, I just feel like that they're not ready to give up on Zach Wilson yet. And so as much as I think Mike white um, is the quarterback for them and, and maybe it should have been Joe Flacco. Maybe they shouldn't shouldn't have moved on from Flacco to begin with this season. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they're looking to uh, – they don't want to have Mike White as their quarterback <laughs> go forward as well as he played. I think there's some in that building that are quite a bit upset uh, by that performance by White and are looking to still get back to Zach. Uh,
0: maybe, or – they might set their eyes on a certain free agent quarterback that Robert Sala knows very well. Jimmy Garoppolo. That is a very, very distinct possibility as far as the jets are concerned and moving on to Carolina where the Panthers, since the firing of Matt rule have been playing some very, very, very solid football. So truth or exaggeration, Steve Wilkes, will become the full-time head coach of the Carolina Panthers.
1: I mean, the way they're playing, it should be a truth. Somehow, I feel like David Tepper is going to want to make a big splash at the head coaching position and try to chase a big name. But uh, Wilks, the players have responded to Wilks. There's no doubt about it. It should be a truth. But look at we were, you know, Talking this same thing last year with Las Vegas after the Raiders turned it around for Rich Biasasia and made the playoffs after John Gruden was let go. And guess what? They made the big splash. And look at how that turned out. So it should, but it probably won't. Mm
0: Uh, yeah, name to keep an eye on for the Panthers, Eagles offensive coordinator, Shade Steichen, yeah. or Lions offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson. David Tepper's probably going to want a guy who can develop the quarterback they're going to take in the draft, and I think he has his eyes set on those two personally. So we shall see. And speaking of quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson is playing his way out, and I mean out. Of a long-term contract extension with the Ravens, truth or exaggeration?
1: Oh, that's an exaggeration. I gotta say, no, it be
0: guaranteed
1: money is the only thing that's holding up that extension. Let's face it, the Ravens don't want to give it to him, he's holding out for it. Uh, the Ravens—they've built that team and that offense around Lamar. You've you found your quarterback. You're not. Uh, giving him up now no 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 that long-term extension is coming it's just a matter of when the two sides meet in the middle right now
0: um i agree and plus i don't think he's playing as badly as uh, people think greg roman his offensive coordinator isn't doing him any favors with a lot of his play designs there i say so we're in agreement there and on to another quarterback if next season is a repeat of this season 2023 will be the final season of russell wilson's career and keep this in mind if the broncos use a post june first cut on russell wilson in the spring of 2024 it will be a 35.4 billion dollar dead cap charge and that's even less expensive than matt ryan's dead cap it was to the falcons uh, when they traded it this year, and it's becoming more and more of a common thing to get yourself out of bad quarterback contracts even earlier than anticipated. So truth or exaggeration on that front, Hal?
1: That's got to be a truth. I mean, you, the Broncos just can't go through another season of mediocre quarterback play considering all that they invested in Russell Wilson. He's got to step up and turn it around next year. Um, or like you said, dead money or not, if you're not cutting it, nobody's keeping you anymore. Those days are over in the NFL and you've got an ownership group in Denver. That's ready to win right now. Russell Wilson, turn it around. That's going to be a truth.
0: Uh, absolutely. But look on the bright side. If uh, Russell Wilson uh, doesn't improve next year, the Broncos are probably going to be in excellent position to draft a pretty high seating replacement in the 2024 NFL draft. So We shall see how that unfolds. And the Cowboys, their Super Bowl odds are currently at plus 900. Their odds should be greater than they currently are to win the Super Bowl. Truth or exaggeration?
1: Uh, I'm going to say that's an exaggeration. I mean, the Cowboys, they just run so hot and cold. And, you know, yes, Tampa Bay is diminished. Yes, you've got San Francisco and Seattle, neither one separating themselves from the pack like the Rams did out of the West, but you still got Philadelphia ahead of you. Minnesota keeps winning games here. So, and Dallas, you know, you know, they can go from one game looking like the best team in the league. And then the next week they're, you know, coming back and losing to the Packers in overtime. So I don't know what to make of this Cowboys team. I still, think there's a lot that they still have to work through as a team here in these last 6 weeks of the season to get themselves on track before I think of them as a Super Bowl favorite.
0: That is a fair point especially given Mike McCarthy's uh recent history in the playoffs. Last week you said that the Bengals have only a 30% chance of making the playoffs given the tough schedule they have. I think you spoke a little too soon, Hal, because the Bengals are playing some very, very, very good football right now, and we'll get into them a little bit more later. But truth or exaggeration, with the win over the Chiefs this weekend, the Bengals should become the slight favorites to win the AFC North. Truth or exaggeration?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna say a truth. If they win against the Chiefs, you know, that gauntlet of Tennessee on the road and coming home to face the Chiefs. If you come through that 2-0, by all means, I tip my hat. You oh you outperform my expectations. And yes, you're the favorites in the division at that point, as far as I'm concerned.
0: So definitely a truth. And last but not least. On Thanksgiving, Von Miller suffered a lateral meniscus injury in his knee, but he said on his podcast yesterday that he hopes to return for next week's game against the Jets. However, he's likely going to be in a knee brace, and I am not 100% confident that he is going to be able to be his old self because of this injury. So truth or exaggeration, With the uncertainty surrounding Von Miller's knee, the Dolphins should be considered the favorites to win the AFC East. I'm
1: still going to go with an exaggeration. The Bills are still the best team top to bottom um, in the division right now. They still have to be the favorites to win that division. Uh, We're starting to see the running game is improving for them. Uh, you know, yes, they're going to need help on defense, but you've got Poyer back in that secondary as well. Now we're finally going to uh, start getting some some other guys healthy here and be able to see this defense. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's still a, a bit of an exaggeration. I still think the Bills are the team to beat and the favorites with or without Vaughn Miller. Um, they should still win that division.
0: And speaking of the Dolphins, they play in one of our two games of the week as they travel to San Francisco to take on the red-hot 49ers. And this is a matchup of two coaches that obviously know each other very well, and I mean very well, because Mike McDaniel coached under Kyle Shanahan for five teams across 12 seasons, the Texans, Washington, the Browns, the Falcons, and, of course, the 49ers. Which coach do you think has a tactical advantage, albeit a slight one on Sunday?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's almost too easy to call it even. But I think in these situations, you've got the assistant has been studying the head coach for years, and the head coach has been evaluating, but maybe not taking notes on everything that his assistant's doing so in these cases i want to give the assistant coach here uh, as they step up a little bit of an edge there Uh, it's a little more personal for them it's their mentor they want to show up and he's got pages and pages of notes of how shanahan did it over the years so i had to give mccarthy in miami a little bit of an edge there (laughs)
0: That is Mike McDaniel, by McDaniel, the way. McDaniel, I'm so sorry.
1: You got me thinking Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys. Jeez. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's all right. We're all human hell. And these next three weeks are likely going to show us exactly how high or low the ceiling is for Mike McDaniel's Dolphins. After their date with the 49ers, they go on the road again for two consecutive weeks against the Chargers in week 14, then at the Bills in week 15. If the Dolphins have a fatal flaw that you think could be exposed by the 49ers, what is it?
1: Well, I mean, the offense, it doesn't look very flawed there. I mean, if anything, Jeff Wilson's improving that running game. Maybe you need a third receiver behind your big two, Waddle and Hill. But I think if there's a fatal flaw for Miami, I'm looking at that defense there. They've had trouble getting off the field on third down. They're 24th in the NFL and in the red zone effectiveness, they have been terrible. They're 29th in the NFL on in the red zone in allowing touchdowns, touchdown percentages, teams are scoring touchdowns 67% of the time in the red zone. So eventually that's going to get them to a point against a team with a strong defense, like the 49ers or the bills or the chargers potentially that can take advantage of that. And, you know, be able to hold that offense and check enough where that defense becomes a liability.
0: Excellent, excellent point there, Hal. And that is a big reason why the Dolphins uh, gave up what they did to acquire Bradley Chubb at the trading deadline. And that takes us to our first key matchup of this game. Bradley Chubb against 49ers right tackle Mike McGlinchey. Bradley Chubb has, dare I say, had McGlinchey's number uh, since he came into the league. Uh, They both came into the league together, by the way. Chubb, the uh, fifth overall pick of the 2018 draft, McGlinchey, the ninth. And they both uh, faced off in 2018. Bradley Chubb got a sack on him. Earlier this year, when the 49ers played the Broncos on Sunday night football, Bradley Chubb uh, owned Mike McGlinchey again in the final minutes of the game. And uh, the Dolphins are probably going to put him on McGlinchey most of the time. So uh, that is a key matchup for the Dolphins to win if they want to win this game.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that's a huge matchup there. And, and like you said, that's why they went out and got Chubb for these kind of matchups. They're going to need that pass rush. They're going to need that something special out of that defense and and like you said yeah you don't want to put him up against Trent Williams that's not a a good matchup for anybody in the NFL (laughs) right now I'm arguably the best offensive tackle in the game consistently week after week so yeah for the Dolphins they're gonna have to get that out of Chubb sacrifice Jalen Phillips on the other side and see if you can get a few impact plays to get san francisco's offense off the field and uh you know not make this a game you got to put up 40 points to win
0: oh i absolutely agree and keep this in mind as well bradley chubb is also a rock solid run defender he could set that violent edge man and they're going to need that maybe even more than his pass rushing this week against the 49ers
1: (laughs) without a doubt i mean that Everything in that we know with these, both of these teams that these offenses function best when they're able to run the ball and San Francisco, since Christian McCaffrey has been added to that offense has just taken it to another level and more pressure on McCaffrey with Elijah Mitchell injured here again. So um, they're going to have to establish that running game, open up the passing game uh, and try to attack that Miami secondary. uh, Because again, both of these offenses are so strong that these teams are going to have to put points on the board in this matchup.
0: And if there is any weakness on that Dolphins offense, it is offensive line, especially right tackle because it doesn't look like Austin Jackson's going to be playing this week and Brandon Shell will likely be starting in his stead and who does Brandon Shell have to play? Nick Bosa. Oh my goodness. This is an epic mismatch and uh, Brandon branded shell. He's going to get some help, but if he doesn't hold up his end of the bargain, uh, Nick Bosa uh, is going to be breathing down to his neck all day long.
1: Yeah. I mean that, that Miami offensive line has been a strength for them and with Austin Jackson dinged up and Taron Armstead st- dinged up as well right now. I mean, that's, not a match. You don't want to see a Bosa on the other side <laughs> if you've got a backup out there. We've seen way too many times uh, Nick Bosa take over a game uh, where a starter goes down or going up against a backup, and that could be just the recipe for the 49ers need to slow that Miami uh, potent offensive attack.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of that uh, potent Dolphins offensive attack, another key matchup I have my eyes on, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, the best wide receiver duo in the National Football League by far, dare I say, going up against the two 49ers safeties, Deshaun Gibson Sr. and Talanoa Hufanga. I think D'Amico Rides is going to have them in a two-deep shell for most of the game, and they are going to do their darndest to not let Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell make those explosive plays over the top.
1: Yeah, I agree. Against Miami, you have to take away that big play. You can't give those quick strike scores uh, to that offense. You've got to make them grind it out, convert third downs, long drives, make to a impatient back there and make a mistake trying to take a shot uh, into that too deep shell. And they've got the safeties to be able to do that. Uh, you know, don't let them go deep go after the ball on those passes underneath, try to force a turnover, We've seen them do it too many times with the 49ers (laughs) with that, with that combo, especially if Fongo, we both love here on this show. Um, So yeah, for, for the 49ers, that is a huge matchup. Those safeties, those cornerbacks going against, uh, like you said, there's no one that can argue against that duo. I mean, the stats back it up Uh, right now. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are the dynamic duo at wide receiver in the NFL.
0: And last but not least, let's make our picks for this game. I think it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a close one, but all good things must come to an end. The Dolphins are undefeated this season when Tua starts and finishes a game healthy. I think that ends this week. I like the 49ers, 23 to
1: 20. I uh, Sound that simpatico <laughs> alert, David. I like it as well. And a close game. A little lower scoring, not the fireworks that I think a lot of people are expecting. I have it, San Francisco 27, Miami 24.
0: Should be a fun one indeed. That in a rematch of last season's AFC Championship, the Chiefs travel to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. And we mentioned the Bengals earlier. And why you might have uh, greatly underestimated their playoff chances last week. The Bengals have been playing some damn good football as of late, and they've done it without their best offensive weapon in Jamar Chase, who they get back this week. And a big reason why they were able to manage these past two weeks on offense without him is the staggering improvement of their previously maligned new look offensive line. According to pro football focus, after the Bengals 0-2 start, their offensive line has allowed the sixth lowest pressure percentage to opposing defensive lines how has this progress been made based on looking at the game film
1: well i mean first off a lot of credit has to go to their offensive line coach the run game coordinator frank pollock frank is a great offensive line coach he was the one who made arian foster into a star uh back when he first started out in houston he's the offensive line coach who developed worked behind the scenes uh with that great dallas offensive line smith frederick martin he was working on that dallas offensive line back then as well um, developing that unit and so he's putting in a lot of work behind the scenes the other thing we're seeing is this offensive line one is getting their reps together i still say uh the you know i understand keeping the the players wanting to have less practice time, but more practice time leads to uh, these units, especially the offensive line needs to practice together. So uh, the Bengals desperately needed that unit more time together to gel. They've had that. They've been staying healthy as well. Um, Yeah, there's been some you know, tactical changes. We're seeing more traps, more pulls in the running game to free up those running backs and get that running game on track, especially without Jamar Chase. But really, I, I think that biggest thing is that we're seeing, you know, we're not seeing those missed assignments, those free rushers anymore, because those offensive linemen are well coached, and they're getting comfortable and trusting that guy next to them.
0: Oh, you mentioned the Bengals running game, they do get Joe Mixon back this week, but Kelsey Conway, the Bengals beat reporter for the Cincinnati Inquirer, uh, wrote an article say that she thinks that Samaje Ryan needs to be the starter at running back going forward. Uh, what do you think about that? Should he at least get more uh, snaps going forward than he's been getting in the past?
1: Uh, personally, I'm going to say no because I have Joe Mixon in one of my uh, fantasy <laughs> football teams. But um, <laughs> going beyond that, no, uh, P Ryan's been fantastic for them. Uh, been eye-opening at how well he's been running the football and. Definitely, as we come down this home stretch and you're looking forward to making the playoffs and hopefully having another run in the playoffs, you want to have fresh legs there with Joe Mixon. So definitely mix it up. P. Ryan, great receiver out of the backfield as well. Very underrated. So, yeah, he could definitely start taking some more of those third down snaps away from Joe Mixon, who was very great in that role as well. But um, P. Ryan definitely should be working him in. He has earned that right.
0: And in last season's AFC Championship, as we've said several times on this program, Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo came up with a very creative scheme that successfully slowed down Patrick Mahomes by only rushing three defenders and dropping the remaining eight into coverage. I would anticipate the Bengals doing that early and perhaps often on Sunday, but I also anticipate Andy Reid to have a very creative plan to counter that, especially with a lot of screeds and short passes to try and force more of the defense to play closer to the line of scrimmage. What other concepts do you see Andy Reid using to force the Bengals out of that uh, rush three drop eight look?
1: Well, I mean, another thing they can do is they can move that pocket, get Mahomes outside of the pocket and uh, let him concentrate on one side of that field, overload that if need be, uh, just buy some extra time for those receivers to get open with those extra defenders there. But I'll I'll tell you, I mean, very impressive with Patrick Mahomes. We've talked about him as mid-season MVP as well. He's really doing a great job of, Taking that next step in the evolution of the great quarterback where he's willing to see the game and take those check downs, dump it to the running back and get the four or five yards, make that outlet pass to the backup tight end who was blocking and pick up five yards and live to play another down. And we saw that consistently one of the, you know, the things we always talked about with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, how they saw the game, how they let it come to them. Um, take what the defense gave them when they needed to take a shot downfield, they did, but they didn't push it. And really that's what we've seen this chief's offense this year. I mean, really we saw you, like you said, with the Bengals last year, um, we saw Bill Belichick do it a few times to Patrick Mahomes as well in games where you could kind of get him a little frustrated by taking away those deep shots to Tyreek Hill putting extra attention on Travis Kelsey. And that's why we came into this year wondering, you know, how is he going to perform without Tyreek Hill there? Because that was a horrible problem for him in the past when you took that weapon away and he has adapted this year, this offense has adapted uh, and he's seeing the field so well, he's making that pre-snap determination before winning the winning the battle before the ball's even snapped. He's taking that next step of evolution, and we're seeing that in the Chiefs' offense this year.
0: Oh, that is another fantastic point, Al. Patrick Mahomes, he is definitely doing a much better job of taking what the defense gives him. That is uh, what all the great quarterbacks do. They evolve their game, and he's definitely evolved his game to a higher level this season. And let's talk about some of the game-deciding matchups here. And we start up front. Uh, Chris Jones is the most lethal threat the Chiefs have on defense. And the strength of the New Look Bengals offensive line, I would say, is their interior. With uh, Ted Karras, et cetera, and Alex Kappa and rookie Cordell Volson at guards that's going to be a very uh, intriguing matchup at how the Bengals uh double uh chris jones uh is going or even triple him is going to be an interesting strategy that uh, frank pollock uh, comes up with
1: yeah there's no easy way to to stop chris jones i mean you we're basically at the point where Chris Jones has joined Aaron Donald in that strata of interior pass rushers where you don't stop them. You just hope to slow them down a little bit and you draw up those plays to get the ball out of the quarterback's hand, a, you know, a half second quicker this week. Um, try to stymie him, get him frustrated with that Um you know, maybe have them do something stupid like a late hit on the quarterback or uh, grab somebody's face mask, get a free 15 out of it and upset him that way because you're just, you know, single, single, you can't block them double you really can't block them like you said you're almost looking at that triple team, whether you're keeping a running back in to help out with the double team as ludicrous as that sounds, uh, yeah, you're you're just not stopping him. So it's really a matter of game planning around. Frank Clark's going to be in the backfield eventually. Um, what do we do to mitigate that as best as possible?
0: Oh yeah, the Chargers did a pretty dang good job of uh, taking Chris Jones out of the game, but a lot of those edge guys uh, stepped up a couple weeks ago uh, in L.A. Uh, like uh, Mike uh, Dana got a, a couple sacks in that game. And uh, I wouldn't sleep on George Karlaftis getting some one-on-one opportunities uh, whenever he's out the field because of the attention the Bengals will rightfully give to Chris Jones. And sticking with the Bengals' offense against the Chiefs' defense, uh, they get Jamar Chase back this week, but this smells like a Tyler Boyd kind of game because the Chiefs, they're going to dedicate two if not three resources to help take Jamar Chase away. And Tyler Boyd, he has been getting open like you just can't believe. He just, he's just an amazing route runner. He is like an underrated uh, component in this Bengals offense. And now with Jamar Chase back, he's going to have more one-on-one opportunities to get open, uh, whether that's against the Jerry Steed or if the, the Chiefs uh, move uh, Trent McDuffie in the slot of times to cover him.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, talk about over overlooked, you know, Tyler Boyd, poor guys (laughs) been in that situation and with high draft picks for T Higgins and Jamar chase and those two stepping up and and rightfully getting a lot of that attention. Tyler Boyd is easy to overlook, but you don't want to overlook him. Uh, Like you said, this could be a big matchup for him. Uh, You know, move him around, work him out of the slot as well. You know, if, Kansas City is going to have LeJarius Sneed uh, sneak outside once in a while to, to, to help out with that coverage because you've got the rookies, Joshua Williams and Trent McDuffie out there, Jalen Watson. You might want one of your more experienced back uh, cornerbacks out there. So. Just another opportunity for Boyd to sneak free, and like you said, could be a very big game because of that extra attention on the outside. Let him and Hayden Hurst work that middle and see if they can um, make some big gainers out of that.
0: And the Bagels got another major part of their defense back from injured reserve in recent weeks. It DJ Reader, uh, DJ Reader. He's not Chris Jones, but. He's a dang good football player. Uh, That uh, quintessential uh, 340, 350-pound nose tackle, uh, he is absolutely dominant in the run game, and he can rush the passer better than many think. And uh, him going up against Creed Humphrey and uh, Trey Smith or Joe Tootie at that Chiefs Interior Offensive Line, Uh, the chiefs cannot sleep on DJ reader whatsoever because he's going to set those two edge rushers up. And we're going to talk about those uh, edge rushers in a second.
1: Yeah. I mean, a DJ reader has just been absolutely um, fantastic when he's been out there and healthy and, um, I think I saw in PFF they said four out of his five games he's had an 80 plus rating for them, uh, which is fantastic. You don't get an 80, you don't get over an 80 just being a run stuffer. You've got to be uh, handling the entire game. And we've seen him collapsing those pockets, creating pressure, uh, as well as playing that classic nose tackle technique. It's that big 350 pound guy in the middle middle so yeah he is an underrated part of that defense but so so vital to that defense's success him and bj hill teaming up there in the middle to uh, you know shut down those running games collapse that pocket and don't let that quarterback step up into those throws
0: and as i alluded to his presence only helps the bengals underrated pass rush tandem of sam hubbard and trey hedrickson And they have a pretty favorable matchup going up against Orlando Brown Jr., who, as we like to say, is great as he is at run blocking. He is very iffy in pass protection. And Chiefs right tackle Andrew Wiley, who will likely get uh, Trey Hendrickson. Uh, Trey Hendrickson has to be salivating, dare I say. Oh,
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, we've we've talked about Kansas City. That strength of that defense is right up the middle there. Uh, That interior is just so, so strong. Uh, Such a a great, great unit for them. So, yeah, they've they've just been fantastic. And Creed Humphrey, we can't talk enough about him, what he's mm -hmm. done in that center position. So if you're going to attack... um, you know, that Kansas city offensive line and get that pressure on Patrick Mahomes, you're going to have to do it around the edge. And, uh, you know, like I said, they're not a weak by any stretch, but they're just not as strong as that interior. And again, that pass rush on the outside, I say, every time I talk about the chiefs offense here, um, you have to have that controlled pass rush. You can't go flying back um, hundred miles an hour around the edge and just let that tackle push you out of the play because Patrick Mahomes will take advantage of that. And when he gets out of the pocket and extends that play and gives his receivers more time to get open, that's when those big plays have been coming. That's when he's taking those big shots to, to MVS or someone down that field uh, when he can get out of the pocket and that pass rush is not disciplined. So uh, you've got to be able to have that strong edge rush, but Hendrickson, Hubbard, got to be disciplined as well.
0: A strong and disciplined edge rush is one of the key ingredients for the Bengals to pull off an upset on Sunday. I completely agree. And do you think the Bengals pull off the upset yet again over the Chiefs?
1: I think it'll be different this time. I think Kansas city, um, just playing too well right now, especially on the offensive side. Uh, I think it'll be a close game. I think you know the the defense. We've seen the defense for the the Chiefs really step up, especially since the bye week as well. Uh, that that unit's been clicking well. So uh, as they go into this tough stretch of three straight road games, I think we'll see uh, that Chiefs defense step up and do just enough to get the W. I've got it: Kansas City thirty, Cincinnati twenty-eight.
0: So that's it. All right. As much as I believe in the Bengals far more than I did last week, I actually think the Bengals do find a way into the playoffs and I wouldn't be shocked at all. if They won that uh, AFC North given how grotesquely it The Ravens have been all season long, but I just cannot go against my MVP at midseason, Patrick Mahomes. I think he's just too tough. And I think the chiefs want revenge. Big time against the Bagels, and I think they get it by a score of, dare I say, 30 to 27. All right. Of your score. And now let's pick the rest of these Week 13 games, starting tonight in Foxborough, your neck of the woods, where your New England Patriots host the Bills. The Bills have still been in a bit of a funk lately. Josh Allen just cannot take care of the football in the red zone for one reason or another. And this week they're going to be without offensive tackle Deion Dawkins and Von Miller. Uh, I think the bills are going to take a little bit of a step back before they take that leap forward in the playoffs. I like the Patriots in an upset.
1: I like the way you're thinking, David. I I think they'll play the bills much better than they did in their last two matchups last season, but Until I see them stop, stop, uh, Josh Allen, I'm not going to believe it can happen here. So uh, I'm still going with Buffalo. I'll put it a little bit closer, but Buffalo 30, New England 24.
0: The New York Jets and Mike White, fresh off a big win over the Bears, travel to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. The Vikings, I give them credit for pulling that game out against the Patriots. But they got away with some uh, egregious penalties in that game, dare I say. And the Vikings, all of their wins have been by a touchdown or or a two-point conversion or less. They did beat the Cardinals by eight, I think. So it was eight points or less. So still, one score wins. And I want to pick the Jets in an upset. And keep in mind, the Vikings have the league's worst pass defense but I just think the Vikings have a certain toughness in them that's not going to go away right now. Uh, I, I just think uh, they're going to find a way to uh, attack that Jets defense uh, both in the air and on the ground through a balanced attack to throw them off. I like the Vikings 27-24. to 24. Do you think the Jets have a very good chance at the upset?
1: J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Yes, indeed, the Jets are going to get the W this week. No doubt about it. I've got you've got the sauce to cover Jefferson. You're going to get it done here. This is what's going to happen. I have the final score. Jets 38, Vikings 24, and how did they get to that 38? That's going to be saved for my bold prediction later.
0: Oh, I cannot wait to hear it. And the two teams with Rest of the season, quarterback dilemmas. The Packers traveling to Soldier Field to take on the Bears. Uh, Even a banged-up Aaron Rodgers is going to beat a Bears team led by Trevor Sibbitt. I do not anticipate Justin Fields playing this weekend whatsoever, and the Bears just losing. Eddie Jackson and Donald Mooney for the year. They're running out of bodies fast. I like the Packers to get their fifth win of the year. Uh,
1: You know... Packers probably have the better team. I can't picture myself uh, picking a Trevor Simeon led team to, to win, but you know what? Aaron Rodgers has talked a lot about uh, who owns the Chicago bears. And maybe this is the time that, you know, I don't think he's going to continue owning them this year. I don't see it. I'm going to take the bears in the upset at home. They've got it. Bears 20, Green Bay 19.
0: Oh boy, as sweet as that would be for Bears fans, it would be bittersweet as well because they would lose out on draft position. A lot of Bears fans are rooting for them to lose out so they could get Will Anderson or (laughs) Jalen Carter at the top of the first round. And the Detroit Lions, after an admirable showing against the Bills on Thanksgiving coast, Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. I went back and forth with this game, but at the end, I think that the Lions coming off uh, uh, some additional rest uh, is going to benefit them in in this game. It's going to be a close game down to the wire, but uh, Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars take a little step backwards before they take the next step forwards. I like the Lions because of that.
1: Oh, you know, I, I've got it as a close game, but no, I've got it going to Jacksonville. I'm still putting my faith in Trevor Lawrence. He's going to find a way Detroit. You got to have a little bit of letdown after playing so well on Thanksgiving. And then in those last 30 seconds of the game, giving it away to the bills. So uh, they may, I think in Detroit comes out a little flat and can't quite recover Jacksonville, 20 Detroit, 18.
0: Jalen Hurts and the Eagles host A.J. Brown's former team, the Tennessee Titans. And last week was a very uncharacteristic game for a Mike vrabel coach team, especially that penalty on that field goal in the final minute of the game. But that said, I think the Titans get back on track this week. The Eagles run defense. Uh, They might have gone slightly better with Lidwell Joseph than Adonkosu, and they could get Jordan Davis back, but – the Eagles' run defense was struggling even with Jordan Davis, dare I say. And uh, now they got to go against Derrick Henry. I think Derrick Henry and the Titans and Mike Rabel find a way to hand the Eagles their second loss of the season. I think the Eagles need a little bit of uh, adversity these final six weeks. And I think they get it this week against a very well coached Titans team. I like the Titans 15 Man. to 14.
1: Man, I'll tell you, a couple weeks ago, I would have agreed with you, David. I looked at the schedule and said, yeah, this is one the Eagles are probably going to lose. You know, Tennessee, Rabel, Derrick Henry. But oh, I, it's here, and I can't pull the trigger on it. The Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field, I'm not picking against them. Eagles 24, tight in 16.
0: And as we talked about last week, the Washington Commanders could be that third NFC East team in the playoffs as they overtake the Giants for that wildcard playoff spot. And they play this Sunday at MetLife Stadium. And as much as I love Brian Dayball to death, as you know, the sale, as they say, at the end of the day, it ain't about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's and the Giants lack of elite jimmies and joes is finally catching up to them right now and the commanders have much better jimmies and joes than the giants do it's going to be a close game but i think the commanders take it uh 20 to 17 yeah i mean rooting for the giants
1: no doubt about it i love seeing brian Dable succeeding here um but Yeah, the the wheels are coming off a little bit here. We're starting to see that with the Giants. They're playing hard, but they just don't have the talent. And I'm telling you, I just love that command is defense. Uh, Top 10 unit now, and they're still improving. Uh, Loving seeing Carson Wentz on the bench where he belongs, and Tyler Heineke at quarterback. So we're going to keep this train rolling. Washington 24, the Giants 14.
0: And in the hide your kids away from the TV street game of the week, the (laughs) Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson's first game as a Brown going up against Deshaun Watson's former team, the Houston Texans. The moral character in me is rooting for Lovie Smith of the Texans to pull off an upset here but I just can't do it. I just think the Browns are just supremely more talented and Deshaun Watson's probably not going to have to do too much of this game. Just give the ball to Nick Chubb. He will eat that Texans defense up. I like the Browns.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I am with you a hundred percent. I want Lovey to win this game. I want Houston to have a little revenge factor here and, and beat Cleveland, but well, you know, can I talk myself into it? Can I say, you know, there's going to be a lot of rust coming off of Watson here. Yeah. And, you know, it's, Jacoby Brissett's been playing great for him. Is he going to come in and play any better than that after mm-hmm. having not played in so long? Uh, you know what? Revenge. I, I've I've got the revenge upset here. I'm going with it. I don't see how they do it logically. I'm just trusting in my heart. Houston 20, Cleveland 17.
0: Oh, going with your heart over your brain. I like that bold strategy indeed, Hal. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, after Ivy ketty Pickett's best game so far as a pro Monday night in Indianapolis, they traveled to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. And the Falcons have been... Uh, an overachieving team this year, dare I say, given the tail of their roster, Smith has done a great job of getting gritty performance after gritty performance out of them, but they just lost Kyle Pitts for the season, which is a big blow to that offense. And the Steelers, they're just too well-coached under Mike Tomlin. This is a game where having Mike Tomlin as your head coach uh, helps you win the game. Give me the Steelers again.
1: Yeah, it should be the Steelers, but man, Atlanta, I don't know. They did, Arthur Smith's been pulling some wins out and they, they gave, you know, had a rough time against that Washington defense, but everybody does. So, uh, you know, this could be one of those weird Coderrell Patterson games here. And, uh, you know, whether he returns another kick for a touchdown or, you know, has one of those catching and running touchdown games. Uh, Something strange is going to happen in Atlanta. Give me the Falcons 27-24 over the Steelers.
0: The dumpster fire Broncos travel to Baltimore to take on the reeling Ravens after yet another last-minute heartbreaking blown lead in Jacksonville last Sunday. Don't say more. This is a get-right game for the Ravens. They're going to use it. Ravens, easy, easy. Let's say 26 to
1: 10. Yeah, I think Ravens pretty easy win here against Denver. Uh, I don't know. I I think the Denver defense will show up maybe a little bit here. I mean, that's still a very strong defense there. So I'll make it a little bit closer, but it's still Baltimore 16, Denver 6.
0: The Seahawks, after a heartbreaking overtime loss to the Raiders at home, they have a get-right game this week, dare I say, against yes. the Rams. Who thought we'd be saying that in September? Oh. oh, my goodness. And the Rams in this game, no Cooper Cup, no Aaron Donald, and probably no Matthew Stafford either. Seahawks in a blowout.
1: Yeah, I've got the Seahawks get-right game, winning it pretty easily, 27-13 to 13 over the Rams.
0: The Chargers, after a gutty win in the desert, they stay in the desert except they go from Phoenix to Vegas to take on the Raiders coming off two straight overtime wins. I know you do not trust the Chargers, but just having Mike Williams and Keenan Allen back is going to be just enough for Justin Herbert and company to pull out a 27-24 win.
1: Yeah, let's see. Two straight overtime wins for the Chargers. Do I trust them? Yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> I mean, the Raiders, I don't know if I can trust the Raiders. I don't know if I can trust the Chargers. I've have got have another tie. Can... No, no, we'll, we'll have another overtime game. Why don't we put it there? <laughs> uh, overtime game, the came up tails. So Vegas 26, Chargers 23.
0: And on Sunday night football this week, why on earth did the NFL leave this game on Sunday night? You got the Cowboys hosted the clown show, Indianapolis Colts. Oh my goodness. The Colts might've made last week against Pittsburgh look respectable. They're not going to do that this week. The Cowboys are just going to run and pass and jump all over them, dare I say. Give me the Cowboys. 34 to 14 over the Colts in a Sunday night snoozer. Yeah,
1: I, I've got the margin of victory even bigger for Dallas. I'm with you 100%, David. I've got a Dallas 30, Indianapolis 6. Let the head coach uh, search start for real in Indianapolis.
0: Oh, we shall see. And like I said last week, I hope you prove us wrong, Jeff Sandra. You had a major hiccup last week. But if you can exceed expectations of this game, it's going to go a long way for you on your resume. And week 13 concludes Monday night in Tampa as Tom Brady and the Bucs host the Saints. And Dennis Allen has had Tom Brady's number these past two years, but earlier in the year, the Bucs found a way to beat the Saints. I think they find another way again with that running game, with whether it's Rashad White or Leonard Fournette. I think they do it there, and I think that defense uh, uh, just uh, keeps Eddie Dalton out of the end zone all game long, and the Bucks master one touchdown, which will be enough to win Bucks 16, Saints 9. Yeah, I, oh,
1: I don't know about this game. Oh, Monday night, I mean, clearly the schedule makers thought that this would be, you know, two seven or eight win teams mm-hmm. matching up here on Monday night, and they're definitely not getting that. I mean, that NFC South, I don't know what to make of it. Um, You know what? Seven wins to win. Seven to win is all it's going to take. So let's throw a monkey wrench in it. New Orleans 24, Tampa Bay 20.
0: Oh, I like your bold thinking yet again, Hal. And speaking of bold, it's time for bold predictions. Hal, you have a bold prediction about the Jets in Minnesota.
1: Yes, the Jets finally going to their second best quarterback on the roster with Mike effing White. And Mike White tops 400 yards passing against Minnesota. Five passes into the end zone for a touchdown. Send three of them to Garrett Wilson. And that's how the Jets put up that big 38 points and find a way to get that W and stay in the race for the AFC East. And uh, Mike White does it again this week.
0: Oh, that may be bold, but it's plausible given it, how <laughs> atrocious the Vikings' pass defense is. Heck, they gave up 382 yards to Mac Jones yeah. last week. <laughs> and if Mac Jones can do that, I think Mike White can as well. My bold prediction is this as I said at the top of our program last week was the first NFL Sunday in history where two teams scored two point conversions in the final two minutes to win the game. Since the two point conversion was introduced in 1994, but this week we have three games decided by two point (laughs) conversions within the final two minutes. We do it with the commanders over the giants. We have it with the Titans over the Eagles, and we do it with the Steelers over the Falcons. Three head coaches, Rod Rivera, Mike Rabel, and Mike Tomlin, who play to win the game, but don't just play not to lose. That is my bold prediction of the week. And now it's time for our challenge flags. My challenge flag goes to the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings, look, you are not a bad team at all. You're a very good team. It's impressive how many games you've won by a score or less this season. All nine of your wins have been by a score or less. You're impressive, but take your game to the next level this next month. Start this week by absolutely dominating your opponent. Don't just win games by a score or less. Win games in convincing fashion. Start doing that this week against the Jets, and with an easy schedule the rest of the way, just finish the season strong. That is my challenge flag. What about yours, Al?
1: I like it, David. Man, you got me thinking about that. NFC South, Tampa, five wins. Atlanta, five wins. Carolina, four wins. New Orleans, four wins. Look, I I just had a horrible thought earlier in the program and saying, what are the odds we end up with four, seven, and ten teams in the AFC South? So my challenge flag, uh, Dennis Allen, Steve Wilkes, Arthur Smith, I don't care which one of you does it, but somebody get hot and start winning some games and at least have an eight or nine win team come out of the NFC South, please, please, please. That's my challenge to that entire division. Somebody be mediocre enough to approach 500, please.
0: He is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, a full press coverage. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, thank you so much once again. And that's it for today here on Sports SportsCrunch. But we'll be back next week to recap week 13, preview week 14, then discuss all the latest news and notes from around the National Football League. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at Decrub59, as well as on Instagram and TikTok at SportsCrunch with Decrub. And remember, that's Crutch with a K. For Hal Bet, this is David Cromwell. And as always, please choose love, please choose kindness, please choose compassion, please choose selflessness, and please choose empathy. Hope you all had a very happy Thanksgiving. And until next time, cats and kittens, stay cool.